Good morning from Vienna. This is uh, a special podcast, and sadly, I'm not with Johanna because she's in London. But I am instead joined by Milda Manomitite. So we're here in Vienna. Um, it is a very sunny but cold day on Friday morning. We've just been at the Global Air Rail Alliance annual conference um, hosted by OVB, the national operator, and City Airport Train CAT, who are trains from the city to the airport. So Milda, is, what's your official title? I am the founding director of the Global Air Rail Alliance. And can you tell us about the Global Air Rail Alliance and why we're here? Global Air Rail Alliance is a community of operators um, that provide rail services to and from airports for passengers and employees. And when I say operators, I mean the airports, the rail operators, uh, the airlines, uh, and also all the people who are planning for new services. So this is a very global community. We have uh, our members come from Australia, South Africa, Russia, Canada, United States, Europe. So we have a very international audience that have very similar challenges in providing rail access to airports. And they have some specific challenges that um, are only appearing in their countries, but that provides a very good platform for these operators to discuss and share uh, the lessons learned, uh, how the mobility as a, as a service are affecting the rail service to airports, how um, international passengers can have a better experience. So this is a really good close community that have um, very interesting discussions when they meet. So what was the name chat this week? So this week um, we focused a lot on uh, luggage. One of the reasons is because Vienna City Airport train uh, is the only operator in Europe that provides a fully integrated in-town check-in, meaning that passengers can drop off their luggage at the in-town city center train station. So they can check in with their airline, drop the luggage, the luggage then travels on the train to the airport and the passengers then um, just can stay in town and ex experience the city, explore the shops and then just catch the later train to their flight. So Thank you for that advert. Other operators are available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so this is... Um, this is the, the concept of in-town check-in and um, there are other operators that provide the service like in Hong Kong and Malaysia, Bangkok. Um, this service for some reason doesn't really take off in Europe that well but the operators were discussing how the mobility as a service, um, autonomous vehicles, Uber, so the trans internet uh, transportation companies might influence and change that. Um, what are the passenger behaviors when it comes to luggage? Are they do they feel comfortable getting giving their luggage to someone else uh, a day in advance, or you know how can operators provide a better service by allowing passengers to not drag luggage with them? Right, and do you feel comfortable giving your bag up? Well. And one of the things that was discussed in passenger behavior is um, when is the last moment where you lock your luggage and you go, yes, I am now fully packed. Um, so I start packing maybe a day in advance, but then, you know, you have to put your toothbrush and toothpaste and then, oh, I forgot this and I forgot that. So um, a, a behavior is that 
people probably fully pack their luggage right before they leave. So yes. that is the challenge. I mean, I'm looking at my suitcase here, which is yet to be closed. So. Yeah. yeah, so that would require a change of behavior, which uh, could be a challenge. Also, um, with the low-cost airlines, they really don't want to deal with your luggage, the low-cost airlines. Um, the idea is that you always have it with yourself and you look after yourself because there's some implications um, and insurance uh, things that if something yeah. happens, who's responsible. So it's an interesting discussion. We have not found the answer yet. Right. So from sort of a passenger interface, you've got trying to trust them to give you your bags. What are the... So most people, when they book a flight, I assume, you book a flight, you go, I've just battled with an airline's website for about 25 minutes. I book the flight, tick, I bank that. I'll, fig I'll figure out transport later. So how are these... Given that they're quite niche railways, um, in your local city, maybe you get an Uber, maybe you take, do take the train. But how are these operators getting you to know that they have a service that exists when you're all the other side of the world on your laptop? Yeah, so this was another lengthy discussion about reaching the customer at home. Uh, so the, the airport express rail operators, they have uh, the sort of it was highlighted that a very two two key things are need to happen to get the passenger reach them at home or make it the obvious choice when you're at the airport so reaching at home especially for international traveler um, there are examples when operators work with airlines so the the rail the ground transport booking becomes part of the airline booking process but we all know if you book your flight and then you have 15 pages offering you extra services, yeah. we'll just skip that. And also you know that they're going to offer you the most expensive things. Yes. Yeah. Because that's the, what they've got to deal with. Or, or that's the perception that um, the airline is here to make money of you rather than offer you a great customer service. Um, so marketing is a very, very important part of this business. Um, and creating the brand um, to, to creating the knowledge about the brand for your domestic passenger and your international passenger is very important and the, the, the way operators do that is either um, advertising through social media, so that's a big thing, uh, reaching targeted ads um, using a search engine advertisement um, and then if you search for a flight um, a, an ad would follow you saying, oh, by the way, can you have you booked the rail uh, journey yet? Um, and then when you do land, because the, the operators see that passengers really, really do not think about their transport until they are already in the baggage hall and then start looking for signs. So when, when you're there and the there is, um, you know, there's a lot of information about, very simple information. Here's the train, it takes 15 minutes, it costs X amount of money, uh, and you can buy a ticket right now, or um, just, you don't need a ticket, you tap it with your contactless card. This is what, it works. Uh, one of the things that really works for the operators is to have ticket vending machines or ticket sales agents at the baggage check-in, uh, baggage reclaim hall. Yeah. So, what is being done to make all those connections between airports and the railway? 
as in do these local operators have good relationships with the airports? Is everyone in it for the same reason? It varies from country to country. Um, when the airport is fully on board, pun intended, um, with the ground transport operators, um, and especially the rail service operator, you can see that the these kind of partnerships and these cities do have a bigger market share of airport passengers that come to the airport by public transport. Um, so the incentive for the airports is uh, environmental reasons. Um, they have uh, goals to meet and a lot of the um, condition for expansion or growth is that they have to meet certain public transport targets. Um, then there's of course road congestion. Um, the One of the misconceptions is that airports might lose car parking revenue uh, when they introduce a rail service, but actually uh, we have seen that uh, this is not the case. In fact, airports do earn more money uh, from their car parking, so per parking space, because they can charge more if they have good public transport connections. Um, and so that, that has been observed in Canada, in Vancouver, when they introduced Canada Line. Um, and so... So wait, they introduced a railway and their parking revenue went up? Um, so the in the case of Vancouver, there was a concern that the, the railway will affect car parking revenue. So they started monitoring the car parking trends. They have seen the decline in car parking revenues before they even introduced a Canada Line <coughs> Express. Sorry, Canada Line train line. It's not an express service, it's a stopping service. But um, what happened now that it's been operating for more than 10 years, it's, um, it allowed a lot of uh, land development. So the land value and car parking value around the, um, the stations, including the airport stations, has increased. So in all, it allowed for more revenue to come, to come in. Okay, yeah. interesting. So I was very interested in the conversations about the environmental benefits of these links. But what is the industry approach or story regarding you are take you are the environmental mode but you're still taking people to aviation which we're supposed to be reducing or there is obviously flight shaming happening. Um, so given that you're sort of facilitating a global industry that pollutes. What is what is the industry doing to protect or hedge that the flight numbers might drop, or that people might start having negative uh, images of airports? So there are two aspects of that. One is very interesting that the, it involves high-speed uh, intercity trains uh, rather than city link city rail links to airports. Um, and we've seen that in Germany with Deutsche Bahn and Lufthansa and here in Austria with um, OBB and Austrian Airlines. It's when the airline works with a high-speed long-distance rail operator to replace ultra-short-haul flights um, or, or short-haul flights as well um, because those flights are very expensive to operate for the airline and very super not environmentally friendly. So. Um, Selling, so the airlines partner up with railways to sell that leg of a journey 
as a railway journey. So you can book it through the airline booking engine as you would book a flight, but instead of changing planes, you go from airplane to a railway and that allows um, airlines to stop flying between these short-haul destinations. So they, they see this work for railway journeys to up to three hours. Um, on the other hand, where, where it is a city connection to a railway, what the operators are seeing that um, the demand for travel grows and when there is a, an opportunity for people to choose how they travel, whether they fly or take the rail, um, everybody still benefits, um, as in business-wise, commercially, um, because, because there's still a lot of people traveling and having the choice and having different modes for your travel allows for better passenger experience and hopefully um, if there are more train journeys and it's a difficult question to answer because I think the global trend is that traveling is growing so if we can relieve some of this pressure from air to rail yeah. um, it will be better otherwise the, all the growth will happen in air right and just looking at you and past your head is the railjet train. <laughs> yes, it is. And the Vienna Hauptbahnhof. So, so one of those issues is don't table from city centre to the airport, just keep the train running to the next city, so you reduce all those flights. Yes. Right. Yes, or uh, if you have to go to the airport and you have to fly because you can't take the train from New York to Sydney, then please at least use an environmentally friendly mode to go from the city to your airport and don't right. take the car. Okay, so you mentioned Sydney there. I have been to Sydney and I did like the air link. I liked just how it was literally a case of just go downstairs and get on the train, which is very nice. So where have you been that you think are standout examples of air links? I'm going to assume focusing on simplicity. Yes, um, there are. I have not been to Sydney, unfortunately, or Australia. Maybe next Is that year. The next conference. <laughs> you hear that, Sydney? Um, so the the good examples that I've seen is um, again come back to the partnership. It's when the railway station is fully integrated in the airport infrastructure and then airport terminal. So as you say, you can just go down. Um, a different level, a different floor, and you don't have to leave the airport. So uh, we've seen that um, in in Flutiger in Oslo. Yep, run by Lottie, because I have to name check her. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was like, no, it's run by Flutiger. I name checked you. And who else do I have to name check? Chris from Brisbane. Air train. Yeah, so again, never been to Australia, I don't know. Oh, you must go. We, <laughs> you hear that, Brisbane. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so the but, but this building works best. The, the the station inside the terminal takes obviously you have to be there at the start when they're building the terminal, so it really has to be sort of an integrated project. And it is not always not always the case. So when they when a situation is when you're bringing a rail link to an existing airport, then as you still know, Liam, the solution is to make it as simple as possible to find it. So don't place a tiny little sign that uh, says um, something that means a lot to a local passenger but means nothing to an international passenger, like uh, you have two arrows pointing one to railway station and another to metro station. So <laughs> an international passenger would go, is that not the same thing? 
Um, so we've seen here in Vienna as well how how city airport chain is uh, using color to make an intuitive wayfinding. So you almost just don't need uh, signs anymore. That if neon you, green that's theirs, isn't it? Yeah. So don't miss it. you you've already established your brand color as neon green. There's no other brand <laughs> in the airport that uses that color. So all you need to do is just keep. Keep a, a, you know at a corner of your eye. Just follow the the color, and you just don't need wayfinding. Right. So make it as simple and easy. Uh, no complicated fares. You rock up. You buy a ticket, or you know how to buy beforehand, and it's easy. It doesn't have fifteen different fares that you need to know, um, and you know where you're going. I know an airport in the UK that has about fifteen different fares. <laughs> No name checking that one, please. <laughs> no name checking, I don't remember. So we should be nice to them. Um, okay, so uh, sort of finishing up is the end of your conference was the awards last night, for which I was there. Thank you very much for the wine. Uh, can you tell us about the winners and especially why they why they were the ones that won? So the Global Air Rail Awards um, is a award ceremony. Is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Did you have too much wine in the <laughs> this morning? Um, and and the the idea is to um, not to just only celebrate the best and sort of uh, mark the ones that are doing the best work, but is also to recognize and showcase and benchmark. So the the goal, the principal goal, is to benchmark the work they're doing, and we have different categories each year. Um, and the uh, anybody can submit. You don't have to be a Gara member to submit your award. And each year, I see different categories um, being popular. So one year, we had a lot of environmental commitment initiatives. Uh, this year is a year for marketing. Um, so you kind of um, feel the pulse of the year. So what was important for the operators? So clearly, um, the competition is high, and the operators spent a lot of. Um, of their creative time thinking of good marketing campaigns. Um, so this year, uh, the big winner was Stansted Express. They came out with three awards. They did, they did look hilarious with their three awards. Yeah, they, they, they did well. <coughs> and they, um, um, so Chris, good job. Uh, Chris Ford, <laughs> very good entry writer. If you, if you need to understand how to write a good awards entry, he did. Um, and the judges were saying the reason why it chose these winners, and you were one of the judges as well. So the awards are, are being judged by transport professionals, some of the members as well, making sure they're not judging their own entries. Um, and each category has number of judges. The judges don't know who the other judges are. So everything is above board, um, <laughs> just so you know. And the, the reasons for the winners is always um, that it, it, it is the entries that demonstrated um, a biggest learning curve, almost, I could say, um, because we always ask what negative aspects you have observed during the project or the year or the campaign, and how did you um, sort of learn from those negative aspects and what you can advise to your peers. So the entries that win always are very honest about that thing because yeah. there is always something that happens unexpectedly and there's always and you deal with it. and you deal with it um, entries that say we have not observed any negative aspects always um, are being sort of ranked uh, lower because um, it, this is just not possible 
So given that you see all the judges' comments, are there any time where you have to um, filter out judges' harsh comments and not tell the entrant? No, <laughs> I always give the full feedback, always. But you know what? Um, what Chris said to me from Stats Express yesterday, he said last year he got some harsh comments from the judges saying, if you would have done this, your entry would have been better, you know, it's a good project, but something was lacking. And he said this year he really took in this advice to, uh, to the heart and, and the result, uh, the proof is in the pudding. Proof is in the pudding. Strudel. Yeah. In the strudel. <laughs> so, could you tell us a fun fact about Aero? Oh, <laughs> there are so many fun facts. Um, Name six. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, fun fact uh, number one, we had two award ceremonies where uh, our hosts were wearing national costume dress. So that was in mm. Oslo and yesterday. Um, Austrian national dress. Austrian national dress, yes. It was amazing, it was fantastic. We always like to have a bit of fun at our dinners. Uh, Where was the first Aero League? First ever? Yeah. Uh, the first ever airport ex non-stop airport express service is Gatwick Express and they're celebrating 35 years this year. Started in the UK. Mm -hmm. And where is the most recent one to open? Uh, um, <laughs> that's a trick <laughs> question. <laughs> Where's the next ones coming online? Oh yeah, that was also something that we have discussed. There are many projects uh, currently under development. There's uh, stuff going on in Paris and we're hoping for a new uh, non-stop airport CDG Express there. And we've heard um, uh, speakers from LaGuardia. There's an interesting project happening there. Montreal is building a new uh, uh, rapid transit service. Um, it will be a commuter line. So there's uh, there's Los is doing one. Yeah, uh, there's airports are building new rail links um, fast. And where's the largest airport that doesn't have a rail link? I believe that's Melbourne. Mm, get on it, Melbourne. Yeah, You're but the curve. we they they're they're uh, in process. They're in process. Yeah. Uh, okay, and one last thing is we're talking about air links. Does, does any type of rail transport to an airport count as an air link? Do you, are you agnostic about that? Um, yeah, the classification is fluid, somewhat. <laughs> um, so we, as an alliance, we don't care that much about the type of air rail link. Um, it matters when it becomes um, operational and commercial sort of discussions because the non-stop service um, a premium service like Heathrow Express, um, you know, would have different challenges than um, a metro line service. Yeah. So, it, but they will have a lot of similar challenges as well. Um, so we don't really care about the classification. We sort of call the the airport express service. Usually, it's um, either non-stop or has very little stops. Um, it is dedicated, it, it is branded, so it's not part of the bigger network. You have a very clear brand. Um, it is integrated with, an, with the airport, more or less. Um, so, yeah, it, but it is fluid. Right, okay. 
And for future mobility, because we cover that, is what are airports doing and airborne links to include future mobility? Now, just to jump in, we're desperate to finish this so that we can go and use Lime scooters around Vienna and have fun on those. So, how are Lime scooters going to be integrated? So, can what? I scoot onto the train? <laughs> if you can take your luggage on the scooter, I think you can do that. Uh, one of the challenges and opportunities for mobility as a service is what we call the last mile journey. So from your home, from your hotel to the station. Um, we understand that changing mode of transport is a penalty, especially for passengers, sort of passenger experience, especially if you have luggage, you will not cycle to a train station if you have a big old bag with you. And this is where... Well, this is where their, um, the bag service drop-off could come into play. Um, so, this is something that the operators are very aware of and they, uh, there have been trials with uh, Uber services. So, um, in Johannesburg, Haltrain did, um, did partnership with Uber. Um, um, Hong Kong is working with local taxis to provide um, half-price taxi rides for people that go to Hong Kong airport um, okay. express line stations. So there is not uh, one fit for all answer yet. And this is something that we talk every year. And if, uh, if there are any mobility as a service providers that have some ideas how it could help the rail operators that connect to airports um, with their operations and challenges, hit us up. Hit you up, okay. Hit me up. You heard it here, hit them up. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Um, I know you're keen to get out of scooter again into the strudel. So, I'll see you back in London. See you back in London. Thanks, guys. Bye. Listen again to What Moves Us. Passion. <laughs>